The National Museum of Funeral History presents The Final Curtain Never Closes. I'm your host, Genevieve Keeney Vasquez, the president and CEO of the museum. And today I'm very happy to welcome Jason Angler, who is a historian on cremation, has one of the world's largest collections of urns in the world. And we are here to talk about our wonderful journey in creating the History of Cremation exhibit and where I actually got to meet Jason and learn to work with him. So welcome, Jason. Thank you so much, Jen. It's so good to be here with you. And you make it sound like you had to learn to work with me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there was a bit of a learning curve. We had a a good time, that's for sure. We've had a good time. Yeah, but uh, basically just learning the knowledge that you have. That's what I talk about. When I talk about learn, it was understanding the depth of the history that is like seriously locked in that brain of yours. I'm, I'm, I was, I want to say perplexed by it. And I was like, really, how does this man know all of this stuff? Fascinating. So tell me, where did this journey begin? When did you start this fascination with cremation? Way, way, way back. So it actually started when I was about eight years old and my step great grandfather passed away and um, he was cremated, and I just always thought that was fascinating, and I remember seeing his urn, and then a few years later, I started becoming interested in being a funeral director, and when I became interested in being a funeral director, I remember we were driving by a cemetery, and my dad said, Jason, you like cemeteries so much. Why don't you become an undertaker? And I, so I was trying to figure out what an undertaker was. I went to the library. And of course, the only thing I could find was the undertaker, the professional wrestler. Cause you have oh. to realize this was in the nineties, you know, and professional wrestling was like in big time. So as I, as I went through this process of learning about undertakers, I also met in air quotes, um, the undertakers manager, Paul bearer. And Paul Bear was this like spooky, kooky mortician guy who uh, would lead the Undertaker out into the arena, and he would lead the Undertaker with this urn. And I was absolutely fascinated with the urn. So I took, you know, I, I started on this like journey of trying to find that urn because I wanted to find one like it. I knew I could, and I knew it had to be a real urn because it looked like a real urn. And um, that started the process. And soon thereafter, I started calling urn companies and uh, getting urn catalogs and learning more and more about products and product lines and that sort of thing. And um, went through that whole process all through my teenage years. And um, by the time I turned 20, there was a new book published about the history of cremation and I got that, and that started my journey on the history of cremation. So it's it was a it was an interesting source uh, that that it came from, um, which uh, I'm not. I used to be a little leery of saying that to people that I learned. You know, I became interested in urns from Paul Bear because. They're like, who? <laughs> yes. If you're not from that time. If you're not, yeah. yeah if or you from that era. W- yeah, yeah. If you yeah. weren't watching WWE, yeah. you just don't know. But interesting enough, um, you know, they, they make comebacks, right? Yes. In, in different interesting ways. Yes, and for sure. And I look forward to having another show with you. Yeah, we'll uh, have So to that we can that. really talk about our, our journey uh, together that continued after our History of Cremation exhibit. Uh, where we actually had the Undertaker here at the here museum, in the building. yes, as yes. well as the 
that famous urn that you sought, yeah. found, and were was very kind to lend to the museum and and have it showcased for quite some time. Yeah, that'll be a fun that'll be a fun episode. Yeah. Stay tuned, listeners, for that because <laughs> yes. it'll be fun. So let's talk about the history of cremation. You know, I tell listeners from time to time, and people always ask, "What's my favorite exhibit?" And you know, it's a really hard question to answer. Yeah, that's that's not fair. It's like asking your favorite child. Exactly. Just not fair. Yeah. Yeah. And so I said, "Well, um, I have to say, maybe most recently was or is now the history of cremation exhibit one because it's you know it's." probably our second largest exhibit in the museum. Mm -hmm. But I was personally involved with you in every step of the way from the, the, the conception of it all the way forward to the actual grand opening of it. And still today, getting to update it from time to time when we learn of new things. Uh, so let's talk about how our journey began, you know, when, when I was listening to our visitors and they were requesting, why isn't there anything in the museum on cremation? So um, please remind me, you know, how that journey started. Well, there was a there was also a discussion about the same time with um, the Cremation Association of, of North America, which um, you and Barbara, who's the executive director there, uh, it's my understanding y'all met at a convention and mm-hmm. and started talking more in depth about this. And um, from there, I was the historian for Cana, the Cremation Association. So it made sense for me to become involved in it. And when I started to become involved in it, it kind of, it kind of grew and grew and grew because originally I think from, from what my understanding is, is there, it wasn't known that there was such a, a, either a, a collector or, or be a person who knew the the history and, and had the knowledge of it. So I kind of, um, by default in a lot of ways, or it made sense for me to become involved. But gosh, when I did, we just we we didn't mess off. around. Yeah. yeah, we took off. And and the things that became available to us, I think, mm-hmm. became part of that journey, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and we'll talk about that on the, because yeah. we need, we definitely need to talk about our road trip. Oh, that, that road was, trip yeah, was road fascinating, trip was right? So, so let's say, so, you know, the first time we went out there, you know, it's, I, I, I kind of lend it to like a fishing trip, right? Mm-hmm. You yeah. cast your net out there, and I think that's how we started when we, we were working with Barbara. Mm-hmm. And you know, Barbara was on our podcast for the month of March. So oh, if yeah. you missed yeah. that, please go back and 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 you get to meet her and learn about her role in, uh, with Kana. Uh, but we took a net and we kind of cast it out there, right? And 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 we just kind of dragged that net along and saw, you know, kind of waited to see what it caught, right? It and like, unfortunately, at the beginning, it didn't really catch a lot. No, it didn't. It wasn't until we really started in earnest the plans to go through everything and and really started getting an idea together. And that happened. You and I met in, like, officially, in person, October of 2015. Wow. Great memory. Well, that's because I'm a historian, <laughs> dear. <laughs> All sorts of things bouncing around up here. Um, but but then from there, just a few weeks later, we flew to Washington, Pennsylvania. Well, we flew to Pittsburgh and then drove down to Washington. And Washington is where the first crematory in the country was built in 1876. And one of the things that I loved was your willingness about what can we do to make this something that people want to see? You know, yes. let's let's make it something that that they can experience, and that's not just a 
um, you know, not just a, a information wall. on a text yeah, panel. Cause, yeah. Cause who, who likes museum exhibits that are just that? Exactly. I mean, it's hard I mean, you to, might as well just pick up a book. Right. So, and one of the things that, that, you know, when you're designing exhibit is, is all the different learning, uh, angles that people, um, that, you know, you've got people who learn from reading and people who learn from seeing and people learn from experiencing. Yeah. So, and nowadays, you know, you think of Disney, right? It's all about immersion, right? Yep. It's about that. It's that, all about experience. Yeah, it's experience and making them feel it. there. So, yeah, so why not? Let's, let's hey, let's bring the first crematory in North America here to Houston. There was, it was funny because there was some discussion when we were initially talking about the exhibit. Um, I don't know if you were part of the, I, I think I mentioned this to you. I don't think you were part of the conversation, but some of the past presidents and Barbara uh, from Cana and I, had talked about, they said, why can't we go get the Lemoyne crematory and, and move it to Houston and, you know, something like that. Is there a way that we could buy it or do something like that? And the Lemoyne crematory is the first crematory in the country in Washington, Pennsylvania, and it's a building. They literally were built as buildings. So it's not like modern crematories where it's like a machine that picks up and moves or with a crane or something like that. This is a full on building. Yeah. With brick walls and everything. Exactly. Yeah, it's like, and it's, exactly. and how long is that building? That building's from the 1800s. 1876, I think if you even yeah. think of removing one now, it's like a deck it's of like, cards, who knows, right? Yeah, who knows what's <laughs> going to happen? So, so what did we do? We sat in the lobby of the hotel in Washington, Pennsylvania, and we came up with the idea to, basically reconstruct. Yeah. Build it ourselves, you know, build, take the whole concept. Right. Mm -hmm. So I remember us being there with the historical society Mm -hmm. and they allowed us to walk through and take measurements of everything. Such a cool thing. And so, you know, we take, we took all of those details and, and and took them to St. Louis, but there was this journey that we took between Pennsylvania to St. Louis. It started in Pennsylvania for you, dear, but it started for me in Newark. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Let's talk about that heavy door we had to pick up. Oh my gosh, that was so, so interesting. But I'm glad we had it because of the snow. Remember the snow? The snow, yes. It helped give us the weight to the vehicle. It gave us the weight to the vehicle. But how many people, can you say, are riding around the country with a 500-pound iron door to a crematory. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, <laughs> who, who I, I kind of wish we had gotten pulled over <laughs> just, so we could, just so we could, you know, explain, explain what that. that was. Right. Yeah. It's come like, have a look, sir. Yeah. Uh, you know, being in the museum field, I don't hesitate to yeah. go pick up a casket and yeah, have it in sure. the back of a van. Right. Yeah. I mean, to us, it's nothing, but right. to, to the outside person looking in, I it's think like, it's like, what? It's creepy. <laughs> so, so that door. Um, so, so let's talk about that road trip. Yeah. So after, well, after we got the museum exhibit kind of concept down, um, and and one of the things I'd like to say about that is that we measured that building, and our exhibit is exactly the same measurements, with two exceptions. The first exception is that we had ADA doors. Correct. We had to we had to do that, so the doors are a little bit wider. Um, and the other is to make more room in the cremator room. The first room you walk in in the exhibit, we had to make the cremator about two feet shorter so that we had enough room to to show everything we wanted to show in that room. But other than that, it is exact replicas. Mm-hmm. In fact, the table, what we would call a beer or a catafalque, um, the table was 
such a perfect replica that when I took a picture and sent it to Clay Kilgore at the Washington County Historical Society, he told me later, he said, I drove up to the crematory to make sure that you didn't come steal mine because <laughs> it looks so much like yeah. it. And it, and it really does. It's, it's amazing what our, our fabricator did to just create this perfect replica of the whole experience. Yes, it is. And then, uh, and then of course, let's talk about some of the artifacts that the historical society, uh, were kind enough to, to lend us. I mean, we have what we have a small apotheki jar with mm-hmm. actual cremated remains. Yes. Yeah. The uh, actual cremated remains of Baron de Palm who was the first person cremated in a modern cremation chamber in the United States. Yes. And there are only, so the, the, the primary part of his remains were scattered uh, at sea is what the historical record says, but the Washington County historical society actually has only about three to four of these apothecary jars that were given to the doctors in attendance, medical professionals in attendance of that first cremation just to show that cremation was clean and, and it purified the remains and that sort of thing. So, yeah, you know, we talk about the doctor and I'm going to take a sidestep. People may not realize that our profession actually came out of surgeons and doctors, right? Absolutely. Surgeons were our first embalmers and the doctors were the first ones, believe it or not, that were came up with cremation. Yeah. They were worried about poisoning the water and poisoning the, the air with decomposing bodies. So that was... That were diseased yep. and, and spreading that disease. So they came up with cremation in exactly. order to... Uh, help stop the spread. Right. Yes, uh-huh. right. that's that's how it that's how it got its movement. Kind of like the CDC, right? Yes, yeah, the yeah. Center for Disease and Control. Yeah. That was them back in that day, right? right. Yeah, yeah. In, so in a lot interesting. of ways. Yeah. yeah, but the other the other really interesting thing we have from the um, from the Washington County Historical Society is the uh, the casket plate that was on the Baron de Palm's casket. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have the record book where uh, the person who operated the crematory. Uh, would actually uh, record the cremations. Yeah, when kind of like took a play-by-play yeah, book, right? Yeah, of really, exactly really that cool. was what was going on. And, right. and I always tell when I'm giving a a, a tour of the museum, there's a, a New York Times article that we now have on display. And, and if you have time to read the whole article, yeah. it really gives you an in-depth look of what it's was so, really going so on. Interesting. Yeah. And it was, you know, cremation then was a lot different than it is now. It was a lot more... Uh, experimental because they they didn't have a precedent they didn't have anything to learn from um so essentially they were trial and error and also then you know cremators now get up to 1800 degrees at most if it gets above that then it starts to create a lot of problems but then it was you know 2500 2000 to 2500 degrees um and it was a very different experience too there was no no flame within the chamber it was a fully enclosed chamber only with heat on the outside. So it was like um, almost like calcination, like reducing the body by, by heat and not by flame. So that's a, that's a, a big differentiation of what cremation is then versus now. Yeah. And then the heat uh, also was generated by coal. Yes. Coal. Then. Yes. Mm-hmm. And now it's natural gas, yeah. you know, most, most use natural gas, um, but it was a, a form of coal called Coke, which is an interesting, um, an interesting type of coal. It has a, has a weird connotation to it. When I first started reading about the history of cremation and learned that they would put Coke in these things, I've thought, wait a minute, this could go, this could go two different ways here, (laughs) three different ways actually. (laughs) But, um, but no, it was, it was, it was just very interesting to, to see how different 
everything was and, and what the different, uh, different methods were at the time. Yeah. Cause I know part of our struggle in the design phase was where do we begin this journey? Right. Because cremation has been going on for so long, for, for as long um, as recorded time. And you know, before. As, you know, from pagan rituals to, uh, looked at as, as, as frowned upon by the Catholic religion for so long. Uh, it, it was a way of, of almost like a, what would you say? It was like a step down way of, of disposing a body, correct? Um, that's that's what that's what the the Catholic Church um, and a lot of a lot of the opponents of cremation truly thought that it was you know that was a, a degradation to the body and it's it's meant to um, achieve the same effect that burial does, but in a shorter amount of time because eventually the body is going to turn back to dust. That's the, that's nature's way. You exactly. Know, that's, ashes that's to ashes, ashes, dust to dust, right? Exactly. That's where that saying comes from. But with cremation, they, they were worried, especially with Christian ideas and Christian um, um, concepts at the time, you know, the resurrection was a big deal. And the, the, the mind could not conceive at the time that the body would decompose to dust anyway. And so, they were like, well, how can you be resurrected if your body's not buried? So it's it's just an interesting, interesting journey all the way through the history of cremation. We could do an entire podcast on that because trust me, there there have been full discussions and they take an hour and a half, two hours just to talk through the the whole thing. So um, but we'll we'll definitely have to circle back to that at some point. Yes, definitely. Too. So so we settled on just starting in North America and uh, talking about, you know, the cremation. Uh, and how it began in North America, and by giving an immersive experience to visitors, by allowing them to walk in uh, to the first crematory in North America in Washington, Pennsylvania. It's almost like a teleport, right? Yeah. You, you, you're, you're here at the National Museum of Funeral History, but you'll walk into Washington, Pennsylvania. So it's kind of a really, really neat experience. Um, so we talked about the door already that we now have on display that... Uh, that got to ride uh, many, many miles across so, the country. So let's talk about that road trip. That yeah, was a that was an interesting, yes, interesting yes. road trip. So that was 2018. It was March, and we took a gamble by flying to um, the Northeast, where who knows what the weather was going to be mm-hmm. because it's the Northeast and it's still winter at the beginning of March. You know, in like a lion out like a lamb. Um, and actually, it was oh, that's interesting. That was. It was five years ago right now. Yeah, definitely. Wow, that is that is really interesting. Didn't even, yeah, yeah. Didn't even think about that. Yeah. Um, so, so I flew to Newark, and I went to uh, Rose Hill Crematory because they had, uh, they had offered to permanent loan the front, the door of the cremator. Uh, one of the first cremators there that was established in 1906, was built in 1906. Um, and this door... When we say a, this is a this is a cremator door, it's hard to conceive what that is unless you've seen it in the exhibit. It is a it is a three foot by almost four foot wide door that weighs eight hundred pounds, and they were originally going to just put it in the back of the of the vehicle. I, we rented a minivan for that. Um, we were going to put it in the back of that, but they ended up building a crate for it which I'm so grateful for because that could have, could have been really awkward for that sliding around in the back. And they loaded it in the back of that minivan with a forklift. Wow. 
And I unfortunately wasn't there for that. I know you missed that. That I was a trip. That. I have a video of that somewhere. I'll have to dig that out somewhere <laughs> because it was it was really an interesting experience seeing them how they could get that in the back of the minivan with a hatch up. Right. Yeah. Yes. That that's some talent. So then so then from there I drove down to Philadelphia to pick you up. And from Philadelphia, we drove to um, Washington, Pennsylvania, through the mountains, in the snow. and Thankfully, we were driving and not walking, right? Precisely. That's, most of the stories are all about walking, right? Uphill in the snow. Uphill for, in the snow, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. right. Well, here, here's the funny part that I want to throw at you real quick. I'm driving, driving snow on top of that. I'm anxious and nervous, and Genevieve says, oh, my God, the snow is so beautiful. <laughs> Slow down. I want to take pictures, and I'm trying to drive and keep it on the road and not slide around, and Genevieve is having it. I mean, that's what happens when a girl from Houston goes to where there's snow. <laughs> exactly, because I never get to see snow, so my husband can attest to that. I I am like a little kid when it becomes snowy <laughs> outside snowy because – I never get to see it. And for me, it's very magical. Yeah. Oh, it is. I get that. I get yes. that. But not when you're driving in the mountains. <laughs> you have no idea where you are. <laughs> and you have an 800 pound door in the back. In the 800 pound. But again, that helped with the snow. Yes, it that did, helped yes. us. That helped us uh, uh, stay, stay level. Um, and then we, we stopped in Washington, Pennsylvania. And there we picked up um, the, the crate for the body. Um, we also picked up several we other call that artifacts. The crib, right? the crib, the crib. Uh, yeah. Yes. Um, and then from from there, um, we so we picked up all of those items, um, and then from there we drove to Cincinnati, um, and the uh, the Cincinnati Cremation Company, um, the Catchin family there donated a lot of um, printed materials, historic booklets, historic documents, that sort of thing on cremation. Um, from Cincinnati, we drove to St. Louis. And that's where our fabricator was, uh, or is. Um, so you could imagine what our van looked like by this then, thing right? Was a, Just, it was like a like a circus car. Yeah, a circus <laughs> was, on wheels, right? Yes, With all was, kind of this weird oddity stuff it was, in it. It was interesting. But was we were on a mission. We were on a mission. Yeah. And we got it all there. And thankfully, we got that that crate out of the back of the, with that giant cremator door out of the back of that van and all of the stuff unloaded, returned the van, and... The day we were leaving, I'll never forget. It was snowing again, and we went up in the arch. In oh, St. the Louis. St. Louis Do you remember arch. That? Oh, oh, and it, we could hardly see the ground because yes. it was snowing so much. But yeah, um, well, it didn't start snowing until we got up. Till we got up in it. By the yeah. time we got down, it was gone again. It was gone. You know, it yeah. was it was very anticlimactic for me because yeah. I was excited to see the snow once we got down. And 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 if you guys have never been in the arch of St. Louis, this is part of our trip. I yeah. kid you not. Yeah. So. Both Jason and Dan purposely did not tell me what to expect. And we get in, if you've never been in the St. Louis Arch, you have to get in these little pods. And when I say a pod, it's supposed to fit five people. And you guys don't know, but Jason, <laughs> how, how tall are you, Jason? Six? Six, three. You're six, three. And, yeah, and, and, I, and I don't, I'm not a basketball player. We'll put it that way. Yeah, and so... <laughs> We're in this pod that has five seats in it, and there's four people in this pod, and our knees are literally like on top of each other. We are knee to knee, and the door closes, and we don't move, and we're still not moving. And all of a sudden, I just looked at Jason. I said, Jason, I have to lay my head on your shoulder. I feel like I'm going to pass out. I realized in that moment that I became claustrophobic, and my body reacted to the fact that I could not see anything around me. I was enclosed in this capsule with 
four people. And I well, there was that four inch window that you could have. But but, but, but we got to remember we weren't moving. <laughs> I know, I know. And because we weren't moving, that window also on the other was side blocked, of that glass yeah, was with blocked the yeah. with the door. And 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 finally they come on and they said, "Sorry, you're going to have to disembark because we're having mechanical issues." So we got out, and I, I, I see. I, I'm the historian, and I don't remember this, but I remember it when you're saying it. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, I'm like, well, oh my gosh, I forgot about. I, that. I remember but, because of the impact it had. I mean, I was yeah. really perplexed that I that I had that type of reaction. I regrouped myself, and they said, "Okay, you can get back in." And I was like, "Oh, I don't know if I can," but I I I, I pulled up my big girl straps, and I went back in there, and. Uh, and then we started moving. And once we started moving, I was okay because then the window gave way to the staircase that the people would use to walk up and do any mechanical, uh, you know, necessities. You could see something. You could see a stairwell. I could see an exit if needed, right? But I remember that your anxiety started up again. Yeah. When you go part of the way up and they have to readjust because you're going up the arch. Mm-hmm. And so you slow down really slow and then the, the pod starts to turn with you in it and then it straightens up and then it turns with you. It's just, it's, it's a, it's a very interesting experience. So it's kind of, you can kind of lend it to almost being buried alive. Right. I mean, (laughs) could you imagine? Except the movement. Yeah. The movement of course. But yeah, that, that pod buried alive with four people that you have, you only know one of them. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Crazy, crazy thought, but yeah. So I remember, and then, but another thing that I remember is that you wanted to stop at almost every cemetery between Pennsylvania and St. Louis. That is not untrue at that, all. Not at all. I not mean, I think, I think I think I I learned and saw more mausoleum, uh, mausoleums, cemeteries uh, on that trip than I ever thought. Yeah, I, I took would. you to. I think I took you to two others too, just there in St. Louis, two mm-hmm. historic crematories there in St. Louis, and um, that that was that was a really cool time because that's when everything really came together for the cremation exhibit. For, for about three years, we were doing the minutiae, you know, the little things, getting everything where it needed to be, raising money, getting stuff where it, um, where it would place, getting the plans done. We had the, um, in 2017, I remember we had the um, kind of the unveiling at the golf tournament that year. Yes. Um, and then in 2018, we had the bones up of the building of the, the yeah, crematory just the walls building, and yeah, stuff, just the yes. walls and let people, people walk in. But then in September we, we had it all completed. And that was a, that week was so much fun for me because here's all this work that you and I had spent so much time on. Years. And Barbara would come in and she would, she would enter in her part. And then Dan Blanton, our fabricator would come in and, and just the four of us, but mainly me and Genevieve, there were times we'd spend a whole week together. Yes, um, definitely. But we came up with this this really really cool exhibit. I I mean I'm I'm very proud of it. Oh, I am too. And it's, and it's it's interesting to you know for people that don't understand what it takes in creating an exhibit, the most important component of the exhibit besides the design are the artifacts that you put in it. And if you can't get an artifact, you don't really have an exhibit, right? So that was probably our biggest challenge um, after figuring out where do we start? What what time period do we begin this exhibit? Uh, and then, uh, like I said, casting that net and see what was out there. And, and we managed to catch some really big fish. We had some really, really good stuff with uh, the cremated remains of Baron de Palm, the cremator door from the, the cremator in... Um, 
Washington, Pennsylvania, that's in the the Lemoyne room. Yes, uh, and then also the one from uh, from Rose Hill in Linden, New Jersey. And then American Cremator came forth. So I have to tell you, so I, I'm a cremationist. I mean, as in I'm a yeah, certified operator. cremator, yeah, <laughs> operator. And and I and I used to cremate. I worked at a pet crematory, uh, and I cremated animals for people and. I, I've always been fascinated with the process of cremation and the science of cremation, how to make the cremator work and operate and, and keep it under control, right? Because you got to keep that machine under control. Yeah. And so one of my visions was always to have a, a, a the front of the cremator in our museum as part of the cremation exhibit to get people to understand what a cremator is, right? Um, and I just remember one of the uh, industry conventions that we went to and I was right across the, the walkway or the aisle from American crematory. And I thought, Oh, if I could get them to build just the front for me. Well, what was really cool about them is that you, you mentioned it and they volunteered it. Yeah. It was just, it was so, so, so wonderful that they stepped in and, and did that instantly. Yeah. We didn't and- even, I mean, we barely had to even, mentioned the cremation exhibit and they were, what can we do? You yeah, know? yeah, exactly. And, and, and so, so yeah, it was really just nice up. to see. Sometimes it's nice to see our dream actually come to reality. And, and so I just remember them bringing that piece in. I mean, it was, it's a monstrous piece, uh, bringing it in um, and installing it. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> finally I have this. Yes, yeah, so I finally have it. Well, and so, I love that we put the TV in the opening. Yes, the TV. Yes. So people can actually understand the process of cremation. And it, it is done in a very educational way. And, yeah. and when I say educational, this is the same video that the Cremation Association of North America provides to people in the industry to teach them to train them for uh, operating cremation chambers. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So uh, it's and and people don't realize that it is that there is a science to it and there is uh, a sense of finesse mm-hmm. in in operating these machines. Yeah. And then of course, you know, let's talk about the recycling companies, right? Mm-hmm. Um oh cuz as we're like putting this exhibit together, we started realizing there's so many more components that Well, the containers that we have the yeah. from from Starmark and um AMA containers. Yeah, they provided the the, the temper. Yeah, the containers. The minimum. Of, yeah, cardboard container for yeah, cremation. Yeah, you know, it's an alternative container. Alternative. Yeah. Thank you. That's the word I was yeah, looking for. Yeah, alternative container, aka otherwise known as a cardboard box. Cardboard right. Box, yes. yes. Um, uh, but it's very fancy, right? Yes. And yeah. and it's and it's what they use to put the body in, so that that when the body goes gets wheeled into the crematory, it's done so in a very dignified manner, right? right? And and then we use the cardboard box because that's a a, a better uh, material uh, to have less of a uh, of a carbon yeah, environmental burn off, yeah. uh, as well as it doesn't uh, char the bones as much, you know, right. because if people don't realize, you know, cremation really at the end is we're left with just the bones, just the bones. and uh, and so you can see that there's some color variants within the uh, ashes that are. Uh, the end result, based off of what the body was cremated with, you know, was it a casket or was it a, an alternative container? And I, I think those are, you know, interesting things that we point out. And then, you know, talking about the recycling, right? The, um, you know, Mid-State Recycling were, was was a great organization that stepped up and said, yeah, we'll work with you. What do you want? And I said, well, you know, help us understand this whole recycling process that people don't realize and give us some video footage so people can see it and we can add it to this video. And, 
And believe it or not, they, you know, we're talking about the metal that's in the bodies that can't go into the pulverizer. It'll damage the pulverizer. Right. And the pulverizer is used to reduce the bones to the ash that most people are, are very familiar with. And uh, so you've got to retrieve the metal out of there, right? And uh, we're talking, what, knee replacements, perhaps some uh, hip replacements. Hip replacements. Uh, we even have uh, on display, we have the spine. Yeah, we have uh, somebody who had a repair on their spine. And uh, so any type of metal, uh, even within the teeth, if you have metal within your teeth, uh, it, all that takes out. And they and then they reduce all of that uh, uh, metal down. And recycle it. And recycle it. They they melt it all down and recycle it. And, uh, and uh, in our video, it even talks about that some of that recycled material is now found in our cell phones. Yes. You know, so yes. it's amazing that, uh, you know, all of this stuff comes to fruition when you do Something as simple as creating a, a cremation exhibit, yeah. yeah. And, and 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 again, that's one of the things that that modern consumers really appreciate about cremation is the multitude of options and ideas that come with it. It doesn't restrict. In fact, it opens up a lot more opportunities for services, for remembrances, for memorials, for placement of the remains, for multiple placements of the remains. Um, so, yeah, I mean, let's. I mean, you're talking about options right so let's fast forward to the end of our exhibit well, when, wait we've got to go through the urn still because oh, i wanted were... to say that for last okay <laughs> we'll step back to yes, that because good. because that 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 one i think is is really fascinating that's some that's, really cool stuff in there yeah, yeah we do but you know we we were talking about the fact that after you get cremated there's still many so many more options right uh you could become a tree mm-hmm. right i mean that was really cool and learning about being in an urn that's biodegradable, that you can just kind of become one with the ocean or one with the the land. Yeah, the living urn. The living urn has that exhibit in our in our modern expressions area, yeah. and it's it's really fascinating to see that cremated remains can be placed beneath a tree. They have a really uh, a really interesting uh, soil mix that protects the roots of the tree because the, the roots of the tree try to grow. Um, outward first, but eventually they're going to grow downward. And by then the tree is established, but that little layer of soil helps to protect the tree roots from the cremated remains. Yeah. Because isn't it true that the cremated remains are not, you know, the, yeah. they're, they're, they're toxic. For, they are toxic. Yeah, for, because for, they have a the large trees. amount of ammonia in them. As, yeah. And, and a lot of carbon. And, and yes, so some so. of that is not so healthy. So they, they put nutrients in that help kind of counterbalance that exactly. to allow that tree to have the, the nourishments it needs in order to grow. Exactly. Uh, and I, I think a lot of people don't realize that either, you know, right. But we, we talk about all kind of fascinating things that we can do with cremated remains. Let's talk about the diamond, right? Diamond, yeah. I mean, we are carbon once we become cremated remains. And so and carbon's what you need, time and pressure, in order to create the diamond. And and I know within my journey of creating the exhibit, I actually took my sister's cremated remains all the way to Switzerland. Yeah. Uh, at Alagordanza, that that company, they, they, they raised their hand and said, yeah, we would love to participate and be part of this amazing exhibit. And so we went to Switzerland, and uh, you didn't get to go on that trip. No, I didn't. Thank um, you very so much. So sorry. Yeah, I uh, too. But we got to see the process and how it works. But for me, I have to say that that was probably the most difficult text panel to put together, just because well, it's of, so much. Oh, it's so, so complex. Such a, yeah, such it, an it, such a uh, process <clears throat> that it that you really have to you really have to to demonstrate it and show it for well, people it's, to and understand it's a, it. And it's, there's an order to this process and it's very scientific. And uh, it, 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 
took me a long time, but but I got it. It's there's yeah, a lot of information in a little text. A lot of information in a, in a three by three text panel. Yes, so exactly. Three foot by three foot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, Jason, I can talk with you forever, we could, right? Yeah, we could see um, and I know we're running day. low on our time, but let's let's go back to that urn collection. So we we do have this amazing section within the uh, history of cremation exhibit that that speaks to the urns. And I have to kind of say, it's like a tribute to you, if you will, and your own collection. Because I think what we have out in that uh, exhibit on display, I want to say maybe is like a tenth of your collection. Uh, yeah, thereabouts. Yeah. Thereabouts. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we have, we luckily have um, several other contributors as well. Fresh Pond Crematory is the oldest continuously operating crematory in the country. And they donated four urns to us that are just unmatched two of them are from 1895 and they are very very ornate and decorative and very victorian very beautiful um and then there's one from the 30s and then some from the the time of world war ii uh when bronze wasn't used as uh as for making urns at that time but but we have also some from um the cincinnati cremation company woodlawn um, we have uh, folks from different funeral homes in the area, a lot to, a lot to mention. But you know, it's interesting when you're sitting there talking about it. I remember I mean, we visited those places in, in, in this whole process of doing the research. It was one of my favorite parts of the whole thing was yeah. being able to go and see and visit and, and get to know the people that run people. it right? and have been running it for you know, years and years, you know, generational and that's one of the things I really appreciated about it too, was being able to help to tell their story also, because a lot of times these crematories in various parts of the country, they're in the back end of a cemetery or they're not connected with a cemetery. And so they often get overlooked because they aren't the, they don't have the same draw as the you know huge arboretum and cemetery that's very popular in larger cities, but there's, we're still able to tell their story as, as best as possible. Um, and that's through pictures and words and urns and artifacts and what a what a great exhibit overall to to bring together. Yeah. So I mean, I, I challenge people if they get an opportunity and, and if they're traveling through a small town and they see some of these old um, mausoleums and they're open, go in them. I mean. It's just fascinating. It, they're ornate. Some of them are very ornate. It I mean, sounds weird to say that to people who aren't in the funeral industry, because I know a lot of people in the funeral profession who, when they're traveling, they'll find the local cemeteries and check them out and that sort of thing. But it's it sounds weird to say that, to go walk through a mausoleum, but they're truly, there's some that have works of art that are oh, yes. museum quality. There's some that have Tiffany stained glass and so many stained glass manufacturers across the country that have, have installed these gorgeous windows in these mausoleums. So it's, it's not just a bunch of walls of rows of dead people. It is truly works of art and a beautiful experience. So yeah, my husband, bless his heart. We went to Santa Fe on vacation and we actually stopped at the cemetery too. I hope so. <laughs> you know, yeah, we I did. I wouldn't expect anything less from yes. you, Jeff. <laughs> So it, it, it is. You are right. As people in the industry, we are. We're, we're we, going to go there. We're yes, gonna go we, there. yes, we, we we're going to drag the people we love along, whether they like it or not. Exactly. <laughs> it's just kind of kind of goes along with the territory. It is. It, yeah. it, it truly is um, part of the part of the process. It is. It truthfully is. So, uh, but yeah. So Jason, I mean, gosh, your knowledge, 
is is almost like an abyss when it comes to the history of cremation, and and I find it so fascinating. And I and I know there's just so much there that has been untouched. Um, if there was anything that you could really highlight, showcase something that probably stands out to you, maybe more than something else in all of your research. Do you have anything like that in, uh, in you your know, mind? It's, it's really fascinating because there's, there's a lot of things over time that have, that have changed with cremation, but the thing at the very end of the day that, that I have always appreciated about cremation is the ability to take a loved one's remains and place them in a, in a place that's meaningful whether that's a cemetery, whether that's a you know a scattering garden, whether it's a placement on their own property, whether it's placement in a lake or in the ocean or wherever. But the thing that I found is most important for the the preservation of society and culture is to find a place to make a permanent marking of the the person who passed away. So many people um, that I've admired and looked up to, whether they're professionals, whether they're movie people, whether they're TV people, they have chosen cremation, but they are choosing to be scattered and not have a place to visit. And it's it, you cannot underscore enough the importance of having a place to visit that gives you a, a centered place to remember a loved one. Um, memories fade, time fades, but here we are still walking through cemeteries that are hundreds of years old and, and honoring these lives as we walk through the cemeteries. Cremation is no different. Creating a memorial is just as important or sometimes more important for people who choose cremation because it's something that they don't consider is necessary right off. And that is probably the thing that I've learned the most as far as the importance of that for culture, for um, posterity, for remembering people's names, for and genealogy, genealogy, yeah, for right. I mean, because I, 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 you know, you're sitting here, I'm listening to you talk about this, and I'm thinking that if I chose to be scattered, I've just now erased my existence. All that's left of you then is memories, paper, and a computer database somewhere. And when the zombie apocalypse comes, what are we supposed to do with? all this paper and computers yeah, right? that have crashed and failed. <laughs> and when we get invaded by aliens, what, what are they going to think of our society when all these people just vanish every year because they were cremated and scattered and no memorial left? Yeah. And, and I'm not saying that's not, that's not a good choice for anybody. I mean, everybody <laughs> oh, has their absolutely. choice. I just, for me, uh, there's there's that uh, that you want to be able to leave your mark, right? That and leaving and how do you want that mark to be left, right? We talk right. about the dash, we talk about leaving a mark, we talk about leaving a legacy, and we talk about having that second death. So I, I think those are all things that we could you know maybe highlight in the future to help people understand that when we die, we want to make sure that we're remembered in some way. And it's important whether you consider and this is talking to the people who are listening, if you don't consider yourself important enough to be remembered, remember that there are other people who do think you're important enough to be remembered. So consider their feelings too in the process of it all, because they're the ones who have to live with the decisions that are made in the process along the way. That is very true and very heartfelt. I mean, yes, if that, and, and impactful, you know, because there's so many times that we really don't think about how deep that vein actually runs 
when we're trying to make these very difficult choices. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Jason, I have to say thank you so much for coming and joining me. Uh, and, and helping listeners get a little bit of a backstory on the history of cremation exhibit, uh, understanding what goes into creating exhibit here at the museum. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, we really do put fun in funeral when we're creating that exhibit, right? We really did. Yeah. Uh, there, there's no, no two ways about it. And it all culminated with the opening of the exhibit and having hundreds of people here to witness it, to see the exhibit open, um, what an amazing time. It validated all that hard work. All of that five years yes. of hard work and us putting up with each other. Yes, definitely. <laughs> we did manage to kill each other, right? Along the way. We had a lot of fajitas and margaritas along the way. We will say that. Yeah, we will say that. And uh, the good thing is, is that we didn't kill each other because we do know somebody who knows how to cremate. Oh, this is true. This yes, is true. Yes. I have a key, I think, to the crematorium yeah. still. Somewhere. And I have a certificate that says I can cremate. She so could do we're it. good. <laughs> So, Jason, thank you again so much for joining us here on Thanks the Final me. Curtain Never Closes with your host, Genevieve Kini Vasquez, CEO of the National Museum of Funeral History. And we thank you, our listeners, for tuning in and helping us make this an amazing opportunity for all to learn more about our industry and want to come out and see the National Museum of Funeral History. And I hope that you will share this episode and our future episodes with family and friends. We look forward to any feedback you have to offer by giving us a review on Apple or Spotify. And we hope that you will join us for a virtual tour at www.nmfh.org. And always remember, any day above ground is a good one.